Welcome back, everybody, to the Rooted in Logos podcast. My name is Brad. I am joined, as always, by my dear friend, Austin. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you doing this fine day? Doing good. Doing good. We've gone back to our Saturday morning recordings. So it is... Uh, it's rough. Well, <laughs> ignore the sleep in our voices for the first yeah. maybe 20 minutes so we get warmed up here. Episode number 63. Yeah. Right? Apologetics, week number three. Week number three, we are going to today talk about how we study the Bible. So we're going to actually get into different foundations of, of studying scripture, different tools we use, different techniques, and what it means to really dive into the Word of God. So we are excited to do that. But Austin informed me as we were about to record that he has something he wants to bring up for our first little section of the podcast. So yeah, what you got? I, I got the icebreaker for this morning. Yeah. Now is so Kentucky Derby. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, I never really, I've never put much stock in it ever. I mean, I've watched a couple of the the horse movies over the years, the Sea Biscuits <laughs> and stuff like that, and I, I, I actually didn't even watch it this year. I, I watched one of the races, but not the the main race. And so Emily was actually looking things up, and she saw the the story of the actual race, and. Reading what happened, in case none of you guys know, God wanted this horse to win. So the 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 horse that won literally came from dead last. Um, he was put in the race because the twentieth horse scratched. In all intents and purposes, this horse should not have been in this race. I think he found out Thursday. No, he found out thirty minutes before the deadline of the that deadline. day. Okay, of that day, yeah. And so the horse, the 20th horse scratched, this horse was put in. This horse has only won one race in its entire life. I think it, it maybe has run seven, I, I, I believe. The, the jockey's never been to the Derby. The owner of the horse has never been to the Derby. About two years ago, the owner of the horse, um, his stables burnt down, lost over a dozen horses. Two of his trainers died of cancer. Oh, wow. Just all this stuff piling up. Uh, he he bought this horse for about thirty grand, which for me that's a lot. But for a Kentucky Derby horse, that's yeah, nothing. That's, that's nothing. chump change. It's basically he like a long shot. He just put it in there. He's like maybe hopefully I'll I'll get a seat. I don't know. And he didn't until the day of the race. Twentieth horse scratched. Put in. The horse was put in the race. The race started and. This horse and this jockey was in dead last pretty much the whole race until about the last turn. It was in 17th place. And from 17th, it went all the way up to first and it won the race. Yeah. I watched the, I watched the race live. I actually, so I don't, I'm really bad at betting on horses. Yeah. Uh, I've gone to the Oaks once and, you know, had a certain amount of dollars that I was willing to play with and, mess around and it's just not, and every other year i just bet legitimately on the derby race and that's it yeah i'm so bad at it like i follow people for like a couple days and just watch and see who they're picking and then i'll kind of base picks on that and i still lose yeah so obviously i didn't win this one it would have been great if i did oh. gosh five bucks on the long shot would have given you you know 400 bucks i think like, he was like an 80 he was to 80 one. to one yeah but anyway i digress but seeing the shot from the aerial point of view and watching them where they point out the horse and they point yeah. out the favorite. Yep. And they just, you watch. is just, uh, what is his name? Rich Strike? Rich Strike, yeah. Is Rich Strike just 
he just just goes to the first goes to first place from 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 last. It it was a fascinating race. I, I and I truly believe God wanted that horse to win. There yeah. there's no other reason why. Everything was put into place perfectly. Yeah, and it, it's just super cool. Here within the next year, we'll probably have a movie. <laughs> did <laughs> did anything you read? Did it have anything about the faith of the no I, trainer I, jockey? I was like looking that? around for it. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. That would be interesting to find interesting. out. But uh, no, it, it was it was pretty cool. I think it was the longest shot to win in like over a hundred years. Yeah, like it, it was uh, pretty pretty exciting race. So that was fun. Yeah. So now I can stop caring about horse racing for another year. Exactly. Right. So yeah. <laughs> it's fine. We're not we, we don't live in Kentucky, so yeah. yeah. Even when I did. <laughs> right. Fine. Right. But uh, no, it was it was a good race. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that was it. That's that, all I had. That's it. That's all I got. So. We are going to dive into how do we study the Bible. So um, Austin and I are going to kind of do what we'd normally do. We're just going to kind of start rolling and interject and where our material matches and fits. So I have four foundations for studying the Bible. And the first one is to read the Bible. Kind of basic, kind of simple. Read it. So the first foundation, read the Bible. So the Bible study begins with reading it. We have a tendency to read books about the Bible, and I fall into this from time to time, where I just read books written by other people that have read the Bible and (laughs) write about it. Nothing we do, nothing we read, nothing we study can replace just simply reading the Bible. So that's the first thing you got to do. You got to read it. If you're going to interpret it properly, if you're going to study it properly, you got to read it. Obviously, we know that the Bible is separated into the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? You have the Old Covenant that was given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Then you have the New Covenant given to us through Jesus. And we are living in the New Covenant. But the Old Testament, so how do we read that? Pretty tough, right? Old Testament can be tough. Can be a a bear to tackle. Yeah. Right? So a couple things about the Old Testament. Uh, first, it was written primarily in Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic as well. One thing to kind of keep in mind about the Hebrew language is it's not a very philosophical language. Hebrew is very concrete, very literal. It is not super allegorical or sarcastic or one word can mean 15 different things depending on how you say it or whatever. Like it's a pretty literal concrete language. And so kind of one of the first things to do when to think about when you're reading the Old Testament is interpreting it interpreting it pretty literally. Yeah. Because the language that's what the language requires. So I wrote down a couple things First, I think it's a good idea, and this is something I haven't thought of necessarily, but I think I'm going to start doing, is read through the Old Testament every year. Just Genesis through Malachi. Uh, Make notes in the margin every time you run across something you don't understand. And I really believe that as you read the Old Testament, you'll begin to cross out some of those notations you made, because you're going to start gaining understanding. The more you read it, the more you're going to understand it. So when you feel like you're unable to understand a verse or passage, that's when you start using those study helps your commentaries your dictionaries your and things we're going to talk about later on in this episode toward the end of it to kind of help gain an understanding of this particular passage that you're struggling with yeah that's funny because i actually have that written down as one of my ways to study it's starting in genesis work your way through the bible um have a notepad right next to you and write down any questions that you may have if you have someone you can go ask those questions to great if not and keep reading through, and you will find that the questions you have are 
that that you've asked will be answered through scripture because yeah. scripture answers scripture. Oh, absolutely. That's another point we're going to actually talk about a little more in depth here in a few minutes is the Bible interprets itself. Yeah. So when you do run across something you don't necessarily understand, there's a good chance that if you just keep reading or read it again, read it a couple more times, it's going to kind of come to you and you're going to kind of yeah. understand and God's going to kind of show you, hey, this is why this is in here. Yeah, you think about like the the genealogies in the Old Testament. Why, yeah. why are those? In, why are all those names in there? Right, there's a reason. I don't understand ninety percent of those or can't pronounce ninety percent of those <laughs> names, but they're there for a reason. And and you know we can get into why that is and and, and whatnot. But I mean, I think one reason is is because it shows the legitimacy of Scripture. Like it yeah. it helps provide proof. It's historical context that the Scripture is is accurate. Yeah, and that the Bible's accurate. So. Uh, so next, we're gonna talk about the New Testament. I was like, a, like I said, these are a little brief, just kind of like little strategies on how to read the Old and the New Testament and things yeah. to keep in mind. So the New Testament is probably where we spend the most time reading, right? We 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 tend as as New Testament believers, as New Covenant believers, to read the New Testament more than the Old Testament. That that makes sense. So the New Testament is the culmination of revelation from God, right? The apostles of the New Testament would allude would allude to and use the Old Testament to bolster their teachings and back up what would later become the New Testament. Yeah. And so we talked about this a little bit last week where there is indication throughout Scripture that the apostles and those who were reading their writings took it as Scripture. Well, Paul Paul references it as Scripture, as Scripture. And it is the holy works. And yeah, and yeah they knew that. Most synagogues would have at least the first five books, the, the Pentateuch or the, the, the Torah, um, others would have Isaiah, Jeremiah, the Minor Prophets, the, the writings of Daniel, stuff like that, and they would read them out loud. Not They would not have all of them. That was right. very rare. Um, but you could go to different synagogues, and they would have the different scrolls. And right. so, yeah, they, they would, they, well, especially Paul would have grown and up. And not only that, they, they believe, they, like I said, they alluded to the Old Testament mm-hmm. to kind of solidify their, their teachings and their writings. They believed their writings were divinely inspired. Yeah. The apostles did. And th- those reading, you know, the recipients of the letters yeah. all believed that they were reading things that were inspired by God. And so we have to understand that the New Testament is valid. It is a valid scripture. It is a valid revelation from God. And it's the culmination of the events that began in Genesis. So another thing to keep in mind when you look at the New Testament is that it basically explains the Old Testament, right? Again, the... New Testament is riddled with references to the Old Testament. Just hundreds upon hundreds of, of references to the Old Testament writings that basically fulfill every prophecy that's in the Old Testament. Yeah. Right? The New Testament explains the Old. So when you run into something that you have a hard time understanding in the Old Testament, there's a good chance you can go to the New Testament and kind of get some more clarification on it. Yeah. Because the New Testament interprets or explains the Old Testament and fulfills the Old Testament. So... What languages are written in? We talked about the Old Testament being written in Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic. For the most part, the majority of the New Testament is written in Greek. Now, Greek is a very complex language. Yeah. It is not as simple or as and as concrete as Hebrew. It is philosophical. Right. It is, you know, there are different meanings for different words. There are different connotations depending yeah. on the endings you put on words. You know, you look, like I said, you look at English and, you know... Red, red, and red, three different versions of the right. word red, <laughs> you know, three different <laughs> meanings of the word red. So it's weird because so Greek is philosophical, but it has a little bit of concrete, as in 
there are specific words for specific meanings. Right. So when when the New Testament does reference a certain kind of love, that's concrete. That's what that love means. And so there is a fluidity, there is a philosophical part of it, but there is a concrete because of the words. Right. Unlike Hebrew, where um, it, the the concreteness of those words, unlike English words. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it does make the New Testament a little bit more challenging to read, honestly, because there, there are more metaphors in the New Testament. There, there's some more metaphorical language. There are more chances for allegory in the New Testament. Right there's a little bit more subjectivity as far as how we can interpret the New Testament, and, yeah. and makes it a little more difficult, a little more challenging, a little easier to fall into heresy, which yes. we see that a happening lot. a lot. So again, the New Testament it just it takes a little bit more time to understand fully what the New Testament writings are saying, and, yeah. and it can be a little more challenging in the Old Testament. So a strategy. So I talked about how reading through the Old Testament every year, Genesis to Malachi. A strategy for the uh, New Testament, and this is the one I think I'm going to start in June, because it's one I've not heard before. I got it from John MacArthur, and I kind of like this. So it says, start by reading a book of the New Testament every day for a month. Hmm. So he suggests like 1 John. Start with 1 John. Read 1 John every day for a month. Yeah. Every single day. And then move on to a larger book like John. Now... You say, well, Brad, the Gospel of John's a big book. You expect me to read that every single day? Okay, break it up. Read the first seven chapters every day for a month. And then read chapters 8 through 14. And then read chapters 15 through 21. And read it that way. So take three months to read the book of John. Read a third of it every day for a month. Read the second third of it and read the third third of it. That is a cool strategy. Something that I've never heard suggested. And it's one I'm going to try to do. So I think that is my... Kind of my goal, starting in June, because I like to start on the first day of the month, just to keep it easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I want to, I do, I'm going to start reading First John every day for a month. And, and here, here's the point behind that. The more you read it, the more you're going to understand it. I mean, you, you look at studying for a test in school. The more you read the material you're being tested on, the better you're going to understand the material. And the better you're going to be like, oh, I understand that theme. Or, oh, I know the answer to that question. Yeah. It's the same principle. It's repetition. Mm-hmm. You're going to be able to start memorizing it. If you read it every day for a month, you're going to be able to start memorizing it. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily the whole book, but you can memorize sections of it, and you're going to be able to recall really quickly, oh, I read that in First John, or oh, I read that in Romans, or oh, I read that in Revelation. Like Things come into your mind, or, or scripture will be put on your mind as you're going through situations. Yeah. And again, you're just going to know it better, and so... When someone comes to you and says, why do you believe this way? Or how can God let X happen? Or how can a loving God do this? Or, or whatever question comes your way, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I know this. I have, I have the answer to this yeah. based on scripture because I have read it over and over and over again. I've repeatedly read it. So I do think that that is a cool way and a cool strategy. So reading the Old Testament every year, start in Genesis, work your way through Malachi, take a year and just read it. Yeah, Read a couple chapters a day. But then, make sure you spend time in the New Testament. And so, every day for a month, read the same book. Yes. The entire book. Not when they're short enough. Not just a chapter. Don't right. just take First John 1. Read the entire book of First John. It won't take you that long. Right. And, and, and I don't think in this, in this strategy, we're, I'm necessarily suggesting, or, or MacArthur's necessarily suggesting, you sit there and you take copious notes and you just right. 
you dive into every word and so on and so forth. That is a strategy you can do. But I think in this particular strategy, it is legitimately just read it. Yeah. Just read it. God will speak to you while you're reading it because that's what you're doing. You're reading God's word. Yeah. So he's already speaking to you because you're reading it. Yeah. And God will bring things to light to you. And yeah, you might jot down some notes and you might jot down some things you don't understand or some things you would want more clarity on. But just read it. Yeah. It doesn't take long. Shouldn't take long. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so that's that's actually one of the ways I, I do it. Uh, Old Testament, I read once a year. New Testament, I read twice a year. When you, when you have a family and, and you're trying to raise them in scripture, you read it even more. Yeah. So for me, just personally, that's what I do. But then I go through different books with the girls. Or with Now we have a boy. So, <laughs> so all the kids. All of yeah. them. Then going through and studying with my wife. But, but it is very important to go through both of them. It is so important. So yeah, go through Old Testament once a year. If you can, go through the New Testament twice a year. And yeah. as you are reading scripture, scripture interprets scripture. It as does. we talked about a second ago, going through it, if if you are one to take notes, as you are going through it, have your notepad. And whenever a question arises and you can't answer it, you can't find the answer, you write it down. You You write down the question. And as you continue reading the new and the old, soon it will start to answer itself. Right. And, and that will help you go through it. And, and if you have someone there with you that can answer that question, then awesome. That'll just help further you even even quicker. Yeah. But a lot, I know a lot of people don't have that. So you just go through scripture, be diligent, and it will answer those questions for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's my, that's my exact next point is that the Bible explains itself. So the more we read the Bible, the more we understand other parts of the Bible. Just yeah. is exactly what Austin said. So for example... If we read the prophetic writings in Daniel, Isaiah, and Ezekiel to the point of understanding, so we read them and now we kind of understand them, Yeah, the book of Revelation will make a lot more sense to us, mm-hmm. right? So the Bible explains itself. The Bible is not a book that is meant to confuse us. The Bible is meant to be understood and we are meant to discover what God is intending to tell us. There's a whole That's the purpose of the Bible, right? There's a, a, a goofy little, oh, what's the word? Um anagram where you, each letter of the word means something yes Is that an anagram uh, or a english teacher would be very disappointed in me right now oh acronym acronym yes acronym there we go take that dr balti <laughs> <laughs> but there's that basic that, that kind of cheesy little acronym for the bible basic instructions before leaving earth yeah right yeah, i've heard a little that cheesy little little like okay come on like we could do better than this right but it kind of makes sense yeah because it is. That's the whole reason the Bible is written is for us to understand how to live in light of God. Yeah. In light of a holy and perfect God. How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to respond? How can we get to heaven? That's why the Bible is written. It's written for God to speak to us directly. I, there are very few instances, and, and I, I'm not going to count them out completely because you don't count out the power of God. Right. But there are very few instances where God is audibly speaking to people at this point. If at any, this point, if yeah. any, yeah, there may not be any. I, I don't know, but like I said, I don't want to discount God and His power and what He can do. How does God communicate to us through His Word? It's the whole point. Yeah, that's why it's there. Hebrews one one. So read it. That is the first foundation of studying the Bible is to read it. And we gave you a couple, or I gave you a couple strategies. Austin, do you have a couple strategies that you like to use for reading the Bible? Yes. <clears throat> so uh, for one. 
Uh, to better understand scripture, you have to know it. Real, real quick, too, I want to say the strategies that I have and the stra- that I pointed out, the strategies that I was, they're not like we're not saying you have to do these. Those are we're just, just giving you some options. Yeah. yeah, like Austin's strategies are just as valid as the strategies that I'm brought up. Yeah, and maybe he says something that I haven't heard, and I'm like, I'm gonna try that instead of what I said. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. We're not being dogmatic. We're not being, hey, this is how you have to do it. We're just giving you some ideas and some tools to use right. when looking at studying and reading the Word. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but no, I just want to point that out before we get dive into that too deep. I like it. To better understand Scripture, you have to know it. And it, starting at the basics, do you know the names of all 66 books of the Bible? Can you go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, so on and so forth, all the way through to Revelation? Once you have answered that question, if you know them or not... Do you know them in order, and who wrote them? And how do you get there quickly? <laughs> Growing up, my dad would always go through what are known as sword drills with us. Yep, I remember those. It is where he would say, okay, uh, first one to get to Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 13. And then we'd flip to Second Peter and to chapter 2, and then to verse 13. And then we, we would go through that. And the whole point is to better know the word to better know the sword, and that, that's why they're called sword drills. Not, it is the sword of the spirit. That's what we use to fight as Christians. And so, to better know your Bible, and it helps because one, if you are used to a Bible, like I my my main Bible that I, I use every day versus my study Bibles, mm-hmm. being able to know the books of the Bible and in which order they're in in the books in the Bible I'm using helps because I can use any Bible at any point at any time. I can pick up Brad's Bible. I can flip to what I need. I can go to someone else's house without having my Bible with me and using their Bible as well. Because I, I'm not so contingent in using mine and so right. comfortable with mine that I can't use anyone else's. Now, I do like mine because I have my notes. I have my underlinings. Um, I am very comfortable with it. I'm I am well-versed in my sword here, but the point is to use any Bible at any time, and that's important. Now, I'm not above, with, say, your Bible, you put your tabs in it. You put a tab for Genesis, a tab for Exodus, and it helps you get get there quicker, but you rely too much on the tabs. So, again, not saying that I'm, you know, denouncing... Tabs or anti tabs are evil. If yeah, you, no, if, no, no. If you have tabs, if I they would, help, I would check your salvation. Great! Wow, <laughs> that's definitely please, not what we're saying. Please hear the sarcasm in my voice, there. Yes. Don't write me angry letters. Definite sarcasm. <laughs> but no, I, and it is to get you used to your Bible. Sword drills. It is an excellent, excellent form and an excellent way to do that. You know, you tell yourself you have your Bible, you get it ready, and you come up with something offhand. Be like, all right, I I want to look up Psalms chapter thirty two. And you, you go there really quick. And uh, even start with just the books. Say, okay, um, James. That's a hard one because it's a small one. Uh, another another hard one is Titus. Obadiah. Obadiah. Where is Obadiah? Yeah. Where is Jonah? Yeah. Um, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Exactly. Yeah. Habakkuk, Zephaniah. So you start <laughs> there and you work on trying to get to know your Bible better. Do you, do you sing the song sometimes to yourself? Not anymore. I actually forgot the song. Did you, if if for some reason I'm having a, a a moment where I can't just automatically know where it is, 
I find myself singing the song. Really? Jonah, my good name. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, I don't remember. It's hard. I can't get it out of my head. Like, songs stick with me. Yeah. So That's a good thing. Yeah. It's a great way to, great oh, heck, form of memorization. Look, I heard a song that I hadn't heard for like 12 years the other night, and I could still sing still every sing word. Still sing it. Still Ditto. sing every word. So anyway, learn the song. That's the easy way to learn the books. Yeah. Learn the do song. Do it. Did it in Bible school, did it, or VBS, or did it in Sunday school, or whatever. Do it now as an adult. Even as an adult. If yeah, it can help you memorize scripture, do it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, diving into just uh, a few different quick ways to study scripture. <laughs> Most people can't, they can't spend five to eight hours a day studying scripture. I, I mean, I would love to get to that point. I would love to be able to spend that much time just in the word, looking at everything. But I, I just don't, I don't have that time. And a lot of people don't. So these are just a, f- a few examples how to stay scripture within about 20 to 30 minutes at a time. Uh, the first one we talked about going through uh, Genesis, reading all the way through scripture. And as you read it, you, you write down questions. And as you get through scripture, you'll find that those questions are being answered. Uh, that's one that you, you just, you start it in a chapter. You read a chapter a day, you write down any questions you have. Um, you go to the next chapter the next day, so on and so forth. The next one, pick a chapter, read it. Ask yourself, one, what does this tell me about God? And exhaust that question out. Yeah. You read that that chapter, and if if you only get stuck on this first question, that's fine. That's, that's perfect. You just ask yourself over and over, okay, what does this tell me about God? What does there, this verse tell me about God? <clears throat> what does the second verse tell me about God? What does the third verse tell me about God? Be exhaustive in this question. After you've exhausted that question, the next one is, how do you apply this to my life? Today, tomorrow, the rest of your life. The next, does any portion of the text you read tell you anything about people around the world in your life etc. What do you do with that? Do you think negatively? Do you think positively? Or do you think critically? So as you're reading through scripture, one, a very, very important one, does someone pop in your mind? Either A, you're reading through scripture and someone pops in your mind, you're like, oh, yeah, this person needs to work on this. Okay, for one, you need to stop. You need to (laughs) check yourself. Yeah. It goes back to you know, Jesus saying, check the log in your eye before you check the speck of dust in your brother's eye. So you need to look at that as in, okay, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Right. So for one, I firmly believe God puts people in your mind. And as soon as that happens, that is a great way to stop and then pray for that person. Either, and and just like I was saying, if you were thinking critically of that person, or if you're thinking positively. And so pray for him or her either way. Right. So when those things pop in your mind, remember to stop and pray. I think there's a very uh, real psychological thing at play there where, especially if you're thinking critically of somebody, a lot of times the traits and the personalities that that you don't necessarily get along with are kind of parallel to yours. And so the issues that you see in somebody else, maybe God is saying, hey, you have those issues too. Right. You know, I look at just examples in my life of times where people who are very sure of their answers, even though I think they're completely wrong. Yeah. And I'm like, that drives me insane. Like, how do you not see this? And then I realize I do the same thing. I get very sure of some of my answers and some mm-hmm. of my thoughts and opinions and beliefs and get a little little high-headed. High a bit ornery. A bit ornery yeah. about it, right? Yeah. Get a little like high on the horse and, yeah. and I have to kind of check that. And so if, if I see that in somebody else... 
maybe it's like, oh, hey, Brad, maybe you're doing the same thing, dude. Let you know, God kind of convicts you of that. So yeah. I do think there's definitely a psychological play there. If, if when you're reading scripture and how does this apply to my life or does it apply to other people? What does it teach me about other people? Yeah. That could be something that, oh, Joe Blow popped into my head because of this issue. Well, are you struggling with that issue too and just don't realize it? Right. So. Yeah. Well, and uh, so before I go forward, a v- another very important thing to do is as you're going through scripture, prayer. Prayer is the f- one of the foundations of our our, our faith. Prayer is just there with reading scripture. Remember, this is a two-way conversation. In Hebrews 1.1, as it, it says that in the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these final days, God speaks to us through his son. And we learn and get to know Jesus better through scripture. Yeah. So as we're reading scripture, God is speaking to us. That is the physical way God speaks to us. Again, not taking power from God, that God can come to you and he can speak to you, but as we see in Hebrews, that's that's not the way he does it anymore. Yeah, we, talk, we talked about it last week where it's easy to figure out the will of God. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, a, a point that we made last week was you know, there is some subjectivity to it, right? Where maybe this exact situation isn't mentioned in the Bible, but the Holy Spirit, as you're reading the Bible, will lead you and guide you to the proper decision right. or, the, or the will of God. Exactly. So again, how do you find the will of God? It's in his word. Exactly. And so, yeah, once once you're reading, that's God speaking to you. Now, are you just going to let him keep talking to you, or are you going to talk to him as well? Now, there's a danger to that <laughs> of you don't read as much and you're just talking to him, so therefore, you're you're jabber-jocking all right. day long to him, which, which is, you know, it is good because you are talking to God, but are you stopping to listen to him? Right. So it has to be a balance. As you were reading through scripture, you were praying. He's talking to you. You're talking to him. Before you start scripture, you pray. Whenever things like that pop up of people pop in your mind, you stop, you pray for that person. At the end, you pray as well. It is a constant fluid thing. Pray without ceasing. Yeah. And and that's something I struggle with every day. That's something I, I am trying to get better as well of being able to pray all throughout the day instead of just praying in the morning and then pray when I get my food and stuff like that, praying with my kids and my wife of, no, I, I'm trying to pray every day. I want to talk to God all day long. I go back to, to Enoch when he walked with God. He was talking with him. Granted, God was talking back with him. It was a physical conversation, but we do have that physical conversation here with us now. We get to pick up the Word of God at any point of our day and read it, and then yeah. we can talk to Him. Yeah, absolutely. Just mind-blowing. So, yeah. That should make us happy. It should make us happy. <laughs> so, uh, a third one. Read through Scripture with a specific question in mind. Uh, for example, one, how to be a better father, husband, or man. Reading through Scripture with that question in mind so once you have that, you go through, and a couple ways you can do it is um, you get a highlighter, specific color highlighter for that question. Mm-hmm. As you go through scripture, you highlight the segments of that question that it answers, or you can use a different color pencils. Um, I, I like using pens. I, I underline a lot, but that that is a really good way to do it because then what you can do is say, okay, I, I need I need more of this. Uh, you go back through scripture and you look at all the, the places that you've highlighted yellow. Yellow mm-hmm. 
goes to, you know, how to be a better man, how to be a better father versus uh, green. Green would be, okay, this is everywhere in scripture where it references God's love. Green is where we highlight scripture that tells us we're going to be prosperous and financially wealthy. Money. Money, money, money. money. (laughs) No, no, no. Yeah, anyway. So yeah, going through with a specific question in mind, highlighting that the answer to those questions with a specific color. Uh, that, that, is a, that is a good way to study as well. Uh, a fourth one is look deeper into the sermon that your pastor preached on. Yeah. And, and, for, and it's great. So like with our pastor, they, they post it online mm-hmm. each week. So what you can do is you can go listen Sunday, to go to Sunday, listen yeah. to it, take notes, whatever, whatever you do. And then throughout the week, you can listen to it as well. Yeah, and then get deeper into what he's talking into about. the into the scripture behind the message. Exactly. Right. Don't just it, you know we sometimes like I said earlier, we read or listen to things about scripture more than we read scripture. So you got to avoid that. Yeah. And try to you know keep that balance. But yes, dive into the passage that he talked about. Scripture is sufficient. Yeah. We've talked about it exhaustively, and we will continue to talk about it exhaustively. But yeah, go through. The scripture that he he preached on. Get deeper. Um, see if you can reference any other portion of scripture that talks about that specific topic or issue. And just continue throughout the entire week on that segment. Now, as we talked about last week, too, just a couple weeks ahead or behind, um, talking about the difference between reading and studying. Mm-hmm. The reading is you're, you are just, you are rinsing your mind. You're rinsing your your being with the word of God. That is where you just, you you read a whole book. You read a whole book. You're not really getting too deep into that book. You're just reading it. Um, what, best way I, I like to do it is reading out loud. When you are reading out loud, one, you are seeing the word of God as you're reading. When you are speaking, you are now hearing the word of God as well as speaking the word of God. Is It is a threefold thing. Yeah. Um, as Paul tells Timothy to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. It is it is immense, and it is such a blessing, the things that happen when you are reading Scripture out loud. One, there's power in the Word of God. We know that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> a brief side note, but like one, one of the ways it helps is, so like when my family and I, we first moved out here. We, we lived in Jeffersonville, and the house we moved into, there were just evil things going on in that house. And so what my parents did is they would bring people in, they would bring their pastor in, they would bring a fellow believers in, and just reading scripture out loud into the house, praying out loud into the house. That's what we did when we moved into our house, just basically, basically sanctifying our house with the reading of God's word out loud. But you're also doing that to yourself. Right. You are physically rinsing your body with the word of God. And it is it is a really cool picture to have that in mind as you're doing that. Yeah. Because again, it is powerful and it's, and it's effective. Yeah. Just thought I'd throw that one out there. So yeah, those are just a few quick, easy ways to dive into scripture, just 20, 30. I mean, you could do it in 15, 15 right. minutes a day. Of course. And and again, there there is a difference between studying and reading. Reading is something we do every day. Studying if you can devote one, maybe two times a week to studying scripture, that that is good. Yeah. That is good. If you can devote more, 
Awesome. And that gets into one of my, I think, the fourth uh, foundation that we're going to get to today of preaching preaching it. Hmm. And and how do you do that? And we'll talk about that in just a minute, not to spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so the first foundation we went through just now was reading the Bible. So this is the foundations of studying the Bible. The first one is read it. Yes. I, I, I think I even have this in here somewhere along the way. The KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right? Read it. That's the first thing you do when you're studying the Bible and how to, how to study. Read the Bible. Yes. Simple. Keep it simple. Well, and, and brief side note, do not come into it thinking that you're going to read it and, and get it and you're going to be good. I just like, do not think, and I, I don't think we've said this or not, but don't, please do not have the mentality of at the end of the next several weeks of apologetics that you're going to be able to go out and have a debate with the the staunchest <laughs> atheist right. and to be able to contend with that. Th- this is a process. Th- it's a process. Yeah, it takes time. To better know scripture, you have to be in scripture, you have to read it. it it's a it's a pretty decent sized book and it's mm-hmm. not just a, a decently sized book. It's a decently mentally sized book. Yeah. It is not just you read it and you 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 got it. This is not a uh, I, I don't know. Well, it's not a Stephen uh, King book. It's not a you know, it's not a Ted well, a Chronicles book. of Narnia book. Yeah, yeah. It's not a C.S. Lewis book. Like it's yeah. it's living and active. Yeah. And so. it and it's in depth. Yeah. So yeah, don't please don't think that don't have that mentality of okay, they're just saying I can read it and then I'll I'll be good to go. I mean, I I've I've been a believer since I was nine, and I, I've only been able to get into the word like this within the probably the past eight to ten years. Yeah. And it's been a process. I'm still learning so much, and there's so much more I have to learn. And there are certain people that I would definitely not want to debate at this point because <laughs> I I I just don't know as much as I want to. Right. Now, does that mean I'll shy away from it? No. It'll be okay. I don't know the answer to that question. Give me some time, and I'll gonna, come back. I'm to gonna you. find out. I yeah. will get back to you. Yeah. Which, by the way, is when defending the scriptures and defending your faith is one of the more powerful ways to do so. Is when you can admit to that person, "Hey, you know what? You, I don't have a great answer for that one yet." Yes. Give me some time, and I'll come back to you. As opposed to just making something up willy nilly or admitting up. defeat, even. Both those things are terrible things to do. Don't yeah. just make something up and also don't admit defeat. Exactly. Be like, okay, let me research that and I'll come back to you. Because that gives you some validity. Because it shows that person that, okay, you're taking this seriously and you want to give me a serious answer. Exactly. All right. So the first foundation, read it. Foundation number two is interpret the Bible. So we discussed exegesis and eisegesis a couple weeks ago pretty, pretty in depth. Not as in depth as we could go into it, but still decently. So I'm not going to rehash that conversation because I feel like, you know, I feel like we have a good foundation of it. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to week one. By the way, with the Apologetic Series, unlike some of our other ones, go back and listen to it from the beginning. Yes. You know, we, stop we what build. you're doing now. We're building. So, that being said, the second foundation is interpreting the Bible. So, three warnings. I'm going to give you three warnings when, when, you, when it comes to interpreting the Bible. The first is do not make a point at the expense of of proper interpretation. So this is expounding upon exegesis, eisegesis, really briefly, exegesis, is reading the Bible and trying to determine what the author or what God is telling us, what the author intended to mean. Eisegesis is, I intend it to mean this, so therefore I'm going to read it into the scripture. 
So that's just a very brief definition of those. And so the first thing we want to be careful of and be wary of is making a point at the expense of proper interpretation. An example, having a sermon in mind and then just needing to find a proper passage for it. Mm. Okay? Having a belief that makes you feel good or comforts you or gives you all the warm fuzzies and then finding a passage to back that up. Right. As opposed to allowing the Bible to form your beliefs and to form your thoughts and your feelings and your attitudes towards certain issues. We see that a lot in today's church with the West or with um, societal issues. The, the society wants us to conform to them. And a lot of churches are allowing that to happen where the churches are, are trying to twist the word of God and conform their behaviors and their mindsets and their attitudes to the world. That's happening so often. That's a huge red flag. Do not let that happen in your walk. Do not allow your the society, the, the cultural pressures, the cultural norms to pressure you into reading that into the Bible. Yeah. Because that's dangerous. It's very it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. So instead of doing those two things, having a sermon and then finding a passage for it, or having a belief that makes you feel good and conforms to societal pressures and finding a passage for it, read a passage and discover its meaning from its context. Yeah. Again, keep it simple. Read the passage and understand what the author is saying in context of everything else that's being written. Scripture interprets itself. The next warning. Avoid superficial interpretations. This is one I could spend weeks on. All right? These are, this is when you hear phrases like, well, this verse means to me. Or I interpret this verse this way. Or I think the Lord is saying this to me in this situation right now. Or I don't quite feel that... X, Y, Z. <laughs> right. It just doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. I don't feel like he's t- saying this, or I don't feel like he really meant that. That. Right? That That's yeah. a big one. Yeah. Is I don't, he, he, I don't, I just don't think he could really mean that, because it, it's just mean. Or I just don't believe that he could mean that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the height of heresy. It's the height of arrogance to, for us to, to come at it this way. It's relying on your own understanding. And it's relying on your own understanding. Absolutely it is. Yeah. And it is so wrong. It is wrong. And, and, and again, it is dangerous. This leads you down a path of subjectivity. Yeah. It leads you down to a path of, well, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me, and we're all going to end up in the same place. Oh, that's your conviction. That's not my conviction. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's just dangerous. So I know we've all been in these settings before. I know I have. I've even been guilty of this before. But we've been in a Bible study setting where, where the, 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 they read a verse and they say, okay, what does this verse mean to you? Mm. How do you interpret that? What we need to be doing and the questions we need to be asking, even in a Bible study setting where it is a conversation, where it is discussion-based, is we need to be saying, okay, what is Paul telling us? Yeah. What is God speaking to us through Paul? What does it mean when he says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead? What, is that, what does that literally mean? What is he saying? Not, what does that mean to you? Right. What does it mean to, it in your you situation? Feel? How does it make you feel? Does yeah. it give you the warm fuzzies? No, it's, what is he saying? What is God saying through Paul? Yeah. So, stop using superficial interpretations. Yeah. So, that's warning number two. Warning number three. This was going to sound a little weird, because when I first read this and was kind of doing my studying for this, it was like, okay, that's an odd take, but I like it when you, when you hear it explained. Do not spiritualize. Mm. 
Okay? Yep. We are big about spiritualizing things here. Yes. Here's what this means. Let me give you some examples of spiritualizing the Bible where it doesn't need to be spiritualized. Facing your giants. What is the Goliath in your life? Right. Guys, it's not what that story is. <laughs> story is not about overcoming Goliaths in your life. We yeah. are over-spiritualizing a story about David cutting off the head of a giant. <laughs> yeah. Right? And there is meaning behind that. We, we, you know, that's something we can get to at some point. But why is that story in there? Well, it's not to face your own giants. Hey. Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> like, I, I'm sorry. Another one. I've actually heard this one before. I, well, I've heard, of course, I've heard this facing me. There's a movie called Facing Your Giant, Giants. Like that, okay, that's common. Yeah. But I've heard this one before, too. Rolling away the stones in your life. So where are they getting that? They're getting that from the stone being rolled away from the grave. Right. Roll away the stones in your life. No. That's, that's not what it's it not, means. Not the point of that, of that story. Not the point of that being in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Stop over-spiritualizing stories in the Bible, passages in the Bible. Another, another way we do this, we tend to make things, this is big today, of course, we've mentioned it multiple times, is we take something literal, we take a story that is literal in the Bible, mm-hmm. and we turn it into allegory. Yes. So this has actually been done with the resurrection a lot, Yeah. where they say, okay, Jesus didn't physically, literally resurrect from the dead. It was, it was an allegory. It was, it, was, it was a metaphor. Right. No, like he literally, Jesus didn't literally die. No, he did. Right, yeah. He literally, his heart stopped beating. He was dead. He he died. He was dead, period. Physically dead. And he physically rose from the grave. Right. It's not an allegory. So again, and that goes back into the facing your own giants, rolling away your own stones. I can do all things through Christ's strength. It's It's taking something that was meant to be literal and turning it allegorical. Yeah. Look at Nicodemus. That's one that people tend to do. You must be born again. Okay, yeah, that phrase, you must be born again, yeah, that is that is a metaphorical phrase. He's not saying you crawl up in your mother's womb and whatever. But he's saying you have to be saved. You have to be saved through Christ. That's not, that is not allegory. Right. Well, that is truth. He, he goes on to, again, we are reading in, in context. He goes in to say how you are to be born again. It's right. just, you have to be born again, and then he leaves Nicodemus questioning. It's, this is how you were born again. So the, the, the whole point of that, do not spiritualize, is to get the right meaning. Yes. Get the right meaning. Do not spiritualize the Bible. Do not make it metaphorical, allegorical. Get the proper meaning. Yeah. Stop it. Stop. Stop with the spacing your giants sermons. Stop it. No. Bad. Well, and and this is where we get into, you know, how to study more in depth, Um, getting deeper into scripture and and not. So the first several um, examples that I gave, not saying that those are lesser forms, not at all. Those are still forms that Brad and I use. Um, Several of those I, I, I still use as well. But the point of those is once you have studied in those first few ways, hopefully it leaves you with a longing, hunger, and desire to get even deeper into God's Word, and basically taking your theology to a deeper level. And people people look at that word theology or doctrine, and a, a very big, I guess, saying that a lot of people use, a lot of Christians use is, I don't need doctrine, I just need Jesus. Or I don't need theology, I just need Jesus. And it's like, okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. Jesus Jesus is God. I get that. 
But what is theology? To, to quote Dwight Schrute, false. <laughs> theology is the study of God. As we know that Jesus is God, it is the study of Jesus. Doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. As Paul references many times, if someone comes to you teaching a different doctrine, a different teaching that we taught you, he, he's false. He's a false teacher. Yeah. So we need to know doctrine. We need to know theology. Every single Christian should be a theologian. And I'm not Absolutely. talking about, you know, being a John MacArthur or being a Martin Luther. Uh, you, I, that, I'm, that's not a prerequisite. But to study God, to study his truths, to study who he is, to get to better know him. Because again, there, it, it's shallow Christianity is rampant in, in, our, in our society, in our culture today. Yeah. This watered down fluff of just we're a mile wide but an inch deep. Yeah, right? Exactly. Like we have some knowledge and, and we have a lot of members of our church, but we can only scratch the surface of what the Bible teaches because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt the numbers. We don't want to. But guys, there is a longing for truth. We talked about this last week or the week before. I think it was the week before, the first week of this. There's a longing for truth in this society. People want truth. And yes, when you preach the truth of Scripture and you dive into it deeper and get below that shallow, just feel-good stuff, yeah, you might run some people off. But, man, you're going to draw some people in. Oh, yeah. Because people want a place where the, the, where the truth is being preached and the yeah. truth is being taught. And it's not this, you can, do, you can live however you want to live as long as you love Jesus, as long as you, you know, confess him and believe him. You can live however you want. There's no, no change needed. There's no change needed to come to Christ, but after you come to Christ, there's a lot of change needed. Exactly. Right? And yeah. that change is a natural natural response to coming to Christ. Exactly. We need to be teaching that. There's a line in a Casting Crown song that says, God's got to change her heart before he changes her shirt. Mm. Talking about, you know, being modest, of course, in that kind of context, but that is so true. Yeah. We don't need to focus on changing the girl's shirt to make her more modest before we change before we focus on getting her to Christ. Root issues. So get her to Christ and as she becomes once she becomes a believer and as she starts to learn then her modesty conforms to God's modesty. Exactly. God comes first, change comes second. We have to preach that. We have to preach, yes, you don't have to change to come to Christ. Right. Come as you are. But man, once you are a Christian, once you're a believer, once you confess, that's when the change is going to start happening. We have to preach right. that. And what it is, is treating symptoms rather than treating the actual disease. And what is the disease? Sin. The disease is our own sinful nature. And going to Christ, having the Holy Spirit enter us, that is the fix to the root of the problem. Yeah. Whereas the modesty or the 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 lust or, or whatever. The bad the, language. <clears throat> or whatever, yeah. yeah. Those are symptoms. Immorality. Those, Those are, are symptoms, symptoms of the true... Sinful nature. And yeah, you, you attack the root. You don't attack the symptoms. Just just think of homosexuality and someone who is in that lifestyle or mm -hmm. someone who is struggling with that lifestyle or, or has same-sex attraction. I believe that that is a legitimate thing. Yeah. I, I really do. And, and we can get into that. And, but I believe that we are all born with a propensity to certain sin. Austin struggles with certain sins that I probably don't struggle with and vice versa. Predispositions. Yeah, yes. exactly. So... There are going to be situations that Austin faces that he's like, man, I'm, I'm struggling here and I might fall into sin in this area. 
Whereas I'm like, that's what are you talking about? That's that's that, I don't struggle with that area. That's easy. That, that's wrong. But then I have a situation where I'm going to fall into sin that he might not. Yeah. So I believe homosexuality falls into that. I, I really do. I believe yeah. that we. Brad and I don't have that. We no, we do not. Yeah, we don't have that predisposition towards that. But I do think people do. Yes, yeah, some and people I, do. So, yes, there is a predisposition to be attracted to the members of the same sex as part of being a fallen world. Right. So, do we welcome those people into the church? Absolutely we do. Yeah. Absolutely we do. Come. Come as you are. But the change does take place once you become a follower of Christ. And so, yes, that desire might still be there, but you're not going to act on it, yeah. or at least you should begin acting on it less, right? right? You should that should start becoming a struggle. Yes. Where you struggle to not act on those desires and those urges. Same with a heterosexual yeah, couple or person. Yeah. Stop acting on those desires. The desires are there. Yes. Okay. We admit that we're okay. We're good with that. We get it. Right. But now it's time to actually change. And so that's where we fall into this trap of in the West of well, come as you are and then stay where you are. Right. And that's the issue. That's that's where we are not getting a good interpretation of the Bible. That's where we're becoming a mile wide and an inch deep, and we're not actually teaching what the Bible says. We're not trying to get a proper hermeneutic or a proper exegesis of the Scripture. Right. And so what it says in James, James chapter 1, starting verse 14, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire, when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So, the desire itself isn't necessarily sinful. It's the acting upon that desire that turns it into sin. And that's where we get the temptation, the temptation on our desires. I I have heard many, many a testimony of former homosexuals that have come to the faith, and they're like, I know this is wrong. I know this is evil. And I have turned from this, and I I am getting away from this. But there are many who, one, on one side, God has completely taken that urge from them. God has taken that desire. And I mean, praise God for that. Yeah. But then there are some that they're like, that desire is still there. I still want that. But I know that is wrong and evil, so therefore I am not going to do that. Right. And therefore they are, they're cutting off that desire. They're cutting off that t- temptation, and which we've said in earlier earlier podcasts that you have that power by way of God. By way of the scripture. Everything, everything that you need to defeat temptation, God has given you by yeah. way of scripture and by way of his Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So... Again, those are the three warnings of interpretation. So we don't want to make a point at the expense of the passage itself. We want to avoid superficial interpretations of mm-hmm. what does this mean to me or how does it make you feel? Yeah. And we want to avoid spiritualizing the Bible, taking things that are literal, making them allegorical, facing your giants, rolling away your stones, so on and so forth. Lauren Daigle has a song, he's still rolling stones. Like right. okay, let's that's pretty, but is it biblical? <laughs> right? So again. Those are the warnings. So, real quick, another part of this interpreting the Bible, another foundation, are the gaps. There are four gaps that I want to talk about, about interpreting the Bible. So, things that make it a little difficult, a little challenging. So, the first one's the language gap. Obviously, we speak English, and the Bible was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. So, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1 says, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The term minister or stewards of the mysteries of God is not an adequate interpretation in the English language. The Greek word here is <laughs> hupertes. 
Huperites? We'll go with that. Sounds good enough for me. Huperites, which means a third-level galley slave on a ship. Interesting. Okay. So Paul is saying that he wants people to think of him as nothing more than a third-level galley slave for Jesus. Does this pose a major theological problem? No, not necessarily. It illustrates that there is a language gap. This can be helped by using a concordance, or even better, an expository dictionary of Old and New Testament languages and words. In one of these books, you can look up every English word and find its Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic counterpart and determine its more specific meaning. So, that's just an example of where the English language kind of doesn't necessarily get it fully correct. You look at the word like bondservant or, or servant, a lot of times Paul's using the word slave. Right. And it's not he's not using the word servant where it's a kind of a cleaner picture. Right. He's using the term, I am a slave. I am owned by God. Right. So again, it, it there are times where the English language just doesn't adequately hit. So there is a language gap in interpreting scripture. So when you come across some of these words, you can go to some of these dictionaries and some of these concordances and be like, okay, what does this word truly mean in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew? Doesn't mean you have to every time. Right. Because again, I don't think these issues in, in English interpretation, pose huge the, theological gaps, right? right? <clears throat> we talk about, I think we talked about it last week, where supernaturally God protects his word. Yes. So he's going to protect it through language barriers as well. Yes. So those core issues, the, the, the meat of scripture is still going to be there. It's still right. going to be true when we're reading a word-for-word translation right. from English to, or from the original language to English. Right. But... There are going to be some differences, some nuances. So we have to understand and accept that there is a language gap. And that is part of the difference between studying and reading. And just reading scripture every day, it's it's really not a big issue. It's not. It is when you devote the time into studying that you can look at, okay, I see this, this word pop up multiple times. Okay, what is the original Greek or what is the original Hebrew? And being able to look at that and be like, okay, where else in Scripture does that pop up? Uh, For example, um, with Phoebe in Romans uh, chapter 16, where Paul references her as a deaconess. Well, a lot of people look at that as, oh, well, Phoebe was appointed as a deaconess. She was appointed. She had that position. Whereas, okay, let's look at deacon. Let's look at that word. It's a verb. It's an action. It is an action. It's something you do. Right. Um, in the Gospels, there's a few times where an action of Jesus is referenced in the Greek as he deaconed, or he is a deacon in this instance. And it was, he was serving. He was serving as in washing the the feet of his disciples. Right. So does that mean he was appointed to the position, position of, of deacon? deacon? Yeah. No, it, it was just an action. And so it, you making those distinctions... It, it is really good. That's where the studying comes in. So, yeah, the language gap, it is there. We need to recognize it and understand that it does pose some challenges. Again, does it pose huge theological issues? I don't think so, because I do believe that God will, again, preserve his word through the generations. Yes. But it's sometimes... Uh, one more example, and then we're going to move on. But the the verse that says, my good deeds are as filthy rags. That's not what that word means. The, the English language kind of cleaned it up and made it a little less gross. Right. So what does it really mean? We've said it before. You can look it up. But <laughs> understand that the, it's a stronger... Understand that the Bible uses a little bit stronger language in the yes. original language than filthy rags. Right. To get his point across. So we just have to understand that sometimes those language gaps are there. Second gap. 
cultural gaps. So obviously our culture today is very different from the culture of the Bible. There must be an understanding of the culture surrounding the books of the Bible in order to properly understand what the Bible is teaching. This could be helped by using a study Bible, a commentary with introductions to each book, and a lot of times those will give the cultural climate of the time of the writing. So, yes, this is actually a big one that people use and take it too far, okay? They, they take this idea way too far, and they really twist scripture to help it fit our culture. But yes, there is a cultural gap. Things are different now, obviously, right? Right. You know, they, they, were, they did house church because they had no vehicles to get anywhere else. And so they had to meet within their community because it had to be walking distance. They had to be able to get to it. So we have vehicles. We have modes of transportation. We can go a little farther for church and, and find a church that is that fits, you know, our beliefs and, and how we, you know, want to learn the scripture. Well, and, that and... They were being persecuted more than we were, oh, too. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. they had to hide more than we are. Yeah. So there, there are definitely cultural differences and things that we do need to take into consideration when reading the scriptures. You know, cultural context. I, I we, we are not going to get into this right now. And, and I can't believe I didn't put it in our schedule between now and I have it. I have us behind the scenes. I have our we have our topics scheduled out through the end of August. And I, for, I can't believe I didn't put this in there. I might have to take one out and put one in. But uh, the idea of tattoos. Oh, yeah. Uh, Austin had a conversation with a listener about this list last week. You know, I look at the do not tattoo yourselves for I am the Lord. I look at that passage and I look at it culturally and I say, okay, based on the culture, based on what he is telling them and what they're facing in those moments, I truly believe and my conviction is that, you know, these ta- the, the tattoos they are talking about are tattoos for the dead. Right. And and the way they're mourning. They're mourning in a paganistic and ritualistic way. Whereas Austin takes a different cultural interpretation. Yeah. It is a tertiary issue. It's not a deep theological right. issue. And I don't think either one of us are using eisegesis. I think we're trying to look mm-hmm. at the Bible in an exegetical way. We come to a little bit of a different conclusion. Right. But again, looking at it culturally. So what what is the culture of that that's being written in? Some, something important to look at at times. Tattoos are not that important, but just, you know what I mean. Right. It's one of those those issues. It's cool that Brad and I can come together. We can debate about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, debate about it. Yeah. But in a way that we're like, all right, this is this is the scripture that I'm reading. And Brad's like, well, this is scripture I'm reading. I'm like, all right, let's, yeah, let's look at it. And we can come away with it and be like, okay, cool. All right, what's the next topic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah. Um, so... Cultural issues are something to look at when you're when you're reading the Bible. Not to the extent of, well, that culture was very, very anti-women. That's why there were men, to, you know, the disciples were all men, and that's why Paul hated women, so on and so forth. Like, that bleeds into some uh, that's stretching. major issues here. Yeah. But again, just keep in mind that there is a cultural gap between our day and their day. Next gap, the gap of geography. So... This is pretty basic. I mean, this isn't, again, something that is super theologically like necessary to get your core theolo- theological issues out of the way, but it is something to help you better understand the Bible, which is the goal of this, right? To better understand the Bible. So having a basic understanding of the geography of the land of the Bible is important in understanding some phrases, such as going down to Jericho, right? Like you can then say, okay, I know how they got there. I know the travel. I know the route they had to take to get to Jericho. Yep. From where they were, going down Jericho. So again, it doesn't necessarily make a huge theological impact, but it allows you to better understand the Bible. 
Right. Which is, again, the goal. And the goal of apologetics is to understand the Bible to be able to defend it. Yes. So having a geographical understanding of the lay of the land is important. So this is where you use an atlas, right? Bible atlas, yes. Yeah. A little bit of geographical understanding will help enrich your understanding of the Bible. So yeah. grab a Bible atlas. They, they, there's some in the backs of a lot of study Bibles, or mm-hmm. I, I personally have a couple of Bible atlases I used for seminary mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. So, yeah, just have a, a, just a basic understanding of where things are. Yeah. And finally, the fourth gap that, that is important to just kind of keep in mind is the gap of history. So when you know the history of a book, it will also help you comprehend the text more fully. Just basic. Yeah. Just know the history of, of, again, the cultural context and the historical context. What is, what is happening in the world at the time of this writing? Right. Helps give you a better understanding of what's going on. What persecution are they facing? In this moment, what is Xerxes doing? What is Alexander the Great doing during these moments in history? What is happening during this time throughout the world and throughout the land of Israel or even before Israel was Israel, the land of Canaan? What's going on there? What's, you know, what's historical? We talked about Molech. Yeah. Right? Where there's, you know, what gods are they worshiping in these places? Exactly. Yeah. What are the Israelites facing? What are God's people facing? So, again... Bible Dictionary, Bible Encyclopedia, those are some resources you could use to kind of get into some of the historical context of of the scriptures. And once, towards the end, we'll also exhaust the things that we use. We'll we'll, we'll give you a little bit more of a basis on the stuff that we use to stay scripture as well. All right. So, finally, on this second foundation out of four, and granted, the last two are pretty short, pretty quick, because we're getting a little long in the tooth here, but it's going to be fine. It's our podcast. We do what we want. <laughs> Foundation number two, interpreting the Bible. The next part, principles of interpretation. And this is where we could spend a ton of time. Oh, so much We're going to try to not do that, but we yeah. could. Um, so I have five principles of interpretation to go through here real quickly, and Austin's going to jump in with some of his. The first one specifically, I think both of us are going to hit on, is the literal principle. Yes. Okay. So the first principle of interpretation is the literal principle. We should understand the Bible in its literal, normal, and natural sense. There are figures of speech and symbols in the Bible, but they represent literal truth. So read the Bible in its normal and natural sense. An example, Abraham. Jewish rabbis, so not Messianic Jews, but Jewish rabbis today, teach that if you take the consonants A-B-R-H-M and add them up, you get the number 318. I don't know how that works, but this is what they say happens. This, in their eyes, means Abraham had 318 servants. Okay. In reality, Abraham in the Bible simply means Abraham. Again, kind of right. trying to complicate things that don't need to be complicated. Right. Well, and uh, yeah, literally, you go to where God changes Abram's name to Abraham, and God tells Abraham exactly why he did that. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and there is a meaning, but it, it's found in Scripture. There's a meaning behind the word. But again, overcomplicating things and trying to pull things out that aren't really there, it's taking the literal and making it allegorical, right? That's right. what they're trying to do. It's what people exactly. try to do. So again, I use that. This is where I put it in there. Kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Yep. Use normal interpretation techniques. We do it every day when we are talking to people. When Austin tells me something and says something, I am interpreting what he says and what he means. And if I were to take this idea of everything Austin says is allegorical, 
I'm not going to know. I'm not going to have a clue what he's saying. I'm not going to understand him at all. (laughs) Right? We know how to do this. We're We're taught this from an early age. We know how to interpret things. Use that same knowledge in interpreting the Bible. Does it make sense that it would mean this? Right. If it does, okay, you might be on the right track. Right. If it doesn't, you know, we, well, okay, say when the Bible condemns something. Yeah. Does it make sense that hey, the Bible's condemning this, or does it make sense? Oh, well, the Bible can't really mean that. Right. No. Use the normal interpretation method. It says what it says. Right. For example, it's like okay, you go to somebody and say, hey. I'm thirsty. Can you get me a drink of water? Okay. Literally, it's, okay, he's thirsty. Let me get him a drink of water. Or, allegorically, and looking at it spiritually is, okay, he's thirsty. Okay. He thirsts his inner desire. Okay. And you just you just contemplate that so much that it it's like the guy who's standing there just wants water. Is now water. dead because yeah, he he's doesn't like, have any water. <laughs> Dude, I just wanted a glass of just water. water. And, and we look at scripture the same way if, you know, the Lord says, do this thing. And uh, I mean, actually, we see examples of this. The Jews, the, the Pharisees, God gave them the law, said, do this, do this, don't do this. So what did the Pharisees do? Once they didn't have any prophets or any judges, they're like, okay, well, what if, what if, what if? And then they spent too much time on one thing, and they expounded that law into 50 other laws. Right. And... Uh, we all do that. Yeah, humans do, do that, and that's just a fallacy that we have. I guess we overcomplicate it. Yeah. So again, it, it is. It is take the Bible literally. Yeah. And it is again. It is obvious because we are not okay. We are sheep. We are stupid. I, like <laughs> we we've talked about that. Yeah. But we're also God gave us logic. God gave mm-hmm. us reasoning. God gave us the ability to think. Gave us the ability to think on a deeper level. Yes. So we are able to, as as human beings, differentiate between allegory, like the parables, yeah. being stories to further a point, mm-hmm. and literal events and literal yes. commands. We, we can do that. We're not that helpless. Right. God has given us the ability to do that. So read it in its normal and natural sense. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't eisegesis it. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. But... Just keep it simple. Read it in its natural sense. Understand, hey, the Bible says this, okay, it must mean this. Yeah. I thought about this uh, when I was preparing for this a couple weeks ago. There's a scene in The Office, and I, I'm i re-watching The Office, and so now some of my references are going to be from that show. But there's a, a scene where I think it's Michael and Dwight are in a, in a car, and they are trying to uh, use GPS navigation to get where they're going. And the GPS says, turn right. And Michael is like, okay, I have to turn right right now. And you look at ahead in the car, and it, the the road veers to the right in about 300 feet. But no, Michael says, no, it says turn right. I'm turning right right now. And he turns right and goes into the lake, drives right into the lake. And Dwight looks at Michael and goes, it can't mean that. It can't mean turn right now because there's no road to turn down. You're turning into a lake. It can't mean that. That's the principle we need to apply yeah. <laughs> when we're reading the scripture. If you are looking at that and you somehow come away with this idea that this action is okay. Think of Dwight. It can't mean that. It literally says it right. It cannot mean that. Yeah. Because it's clear what it's talking about and what it says using context clues. Yeah. Context. 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 <laughs> can't mean that. 
Great scene, by the way. One of my favorites. So the next principle of interpretation is the historical principle. So what does what is written mean to the people to whom it was spoken or written? This is where other resources can really come into play. Commentaries and books that discuss the history and biographies of the writers of the books of the Bible are extremely helpful to pull out the full meaning of a passage. Interpret the Bible in light of the historical context in which it was written. So again, we talked about this historical gap. It's important to fully understand and to get a better understanding to know the history of who you're reading. Know Paul's history. Where did he come from before he was writing these letters? Well, he was a Pharisee, right? Yeah. What, what was he doing? Well, he was persecuting Christians. He was killing people in the name of God. So knowing his history and knowing why his life change is so profound and why it's so profound that he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Right. Because of what he was doing before that. So again, knowing the historical context, you know, writing the Church of Rome during intense persecution from, from the emperor at the time. Yeah. It, it makes more sense. It helps you understand why Paul's writing what he's writing. Why does he talk, why, why does he address certain issues in Corinthians but doesn't address those issues in Ephesians? Because the Church of Corinth was struggling with these issues. The Church at Ephesus was struggling with a different set of issues. Right. Knowing that helps you better understand where Paul's coming from. I right. use Paul as an example because just because he wrote so much of the New uh, Testament. Yeah, yeah. But why were they written? Who were they written to? That makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. But we yeah. talk about the Old Testament too, where the, Jeremiah 29, 11, we talked about that when we talk about yeah. verses taken out of context. That passage was written to people in exile. It wasn't written to us specifically right. in America right now. It was written to Jews who were exiled. Now, can we apply that to we are exiled from heaven? Maybe. Maybe we can. Where that eventually we we are in heaven, we are home, because the Bible talks about we are not of this world and we are aliens, right? right? But does it mean that on this planet, on this in this moment right now, your plan, God's plan for you is to be prosperous and to be wealthy? No. Like, that's not what this is. And you're going to be successful in everything you do? No. He is talking specifically in that moment to people who are exiled. Yeah. Exiled from their from their homeland. So that makes a difference in how you read that passage and how you interpret that passage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I expanded a little bit on this one and allegorical. So I, the, the one that Brad and I use a lot, it is the literal, also known as grammatical or historical method. I got grammatical next. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, the literal method seeks to understand the words of the passage in their normal, natural, and customary meaning within the context of what you are reading. This method looks for what the author of that book intended it to mean. I got a quote here from Roland McHugh. He says, In this method, interpretation consists in finding the meaning of words according to grammar, syntax, syntax being the arrangement of words and phrases to create well-formed sentences in the language, and cultural setting, and in correlation with the rest of Scripture as a whole. In this way, the Bible speaks for itself. The other one being allegorical. The allegorical method, it seeks to understand the word of the passage in a deeper, more obscure way. It searches for the spiritual meaning that is beyond the main intent of the author. Uh, another quote from Roy Zuck. Allegorizing is searching for a hidden or secret meaning underlying, but remote from and unrelated in reality to the more obvious meaning of a text. Couple examples. Pulling out a meaning that isn't there. Exactly. Is essentially what he's saying there. Yeah. Couple of, couple examples looking at scripture of, is it allegorical or, or is it literal? One we've talked about is David and Goliath. Of, okay, was was Goliath literal or was he allegory for something deeper? Was he allegory for just the battle that Israel was fighting? Or the battles like, that you're going to fight today. Right. So, okay, go to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and read the whole chapter. And no, 
Goliath was a physical giant. It gave the dimensions of his height, the dimensions of his armor, the dimensions of his spear, of his javelin, of his sword. It said exactly how many stones that David had and what he did and exactly the words that David used against Goliath. It is very literal. Reading that in its natural sense, you can't come away and say, oh, that was just an allegory. Exactly. You can't. If you read it in its natural sense, you can't do it. Yeah. Another one being Jonah. Jonah in the whale. Jonah chapter two. You read through it. And a lot of people believe that the whale is allegory, that this was actually just a vision that Jonah had. And it's like, okay, read all of Jonah. Read the context. Read him being thrown over the ship. Mm -hmm. Read the storm automatically stopping. Then him being swallowed by the whale. Then him being in the whale for three days. Then him being spit out of the whale onto shore. It's, it is literal. It actually happened. Another one, Jacob wrestling with God. That'll be Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. A lot of people take that as allegory, as, okay, well, he didn't actually wrestle with God. And, and so you go through and you read it. He wrestled with God. It got to a point where it became daylight. What happened? God touched his hip. It popped out of place. Once yeah. it popped out of place, it popped back. He limped. He walked with a limp. <laughs> literal limp. Literal not a, limp. Not a metaphorical limp. All the way back. <laughs> and yeah. it was literal. He wrestled with God. Yeah. And through that, God redeemed him and called him Israel. I mean, and brief side note, Jacob being deceiver, <laughs> yeah. being liar, grabber of heel, so on and so forth, God redeemed his name. Yeah. But yeah, those are just, those are some biblical Biblical examples. Well, let's look at, you know, secular. Let's look at pop culture, okay? Looking at art, allegory, looking at metaphorical or literal. This is a big one. Okay, you look at a a painting, an abstract painting. Hey, the Picasso, I like it, kind of deal. Okay, you look at it like, okay, this makes me feel. This, this, This gives me the feeling, or I think it looks like this. That kind of deal. Whereas an, another one being, okay, Simon and Garfunkel, the song, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. That's a funny one because a lot of people will will listen to that and they're like, what they meant by this song, you know, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, I've come to talk with you again and this, this meant this. Well, Simon and Garfunkel, they actually said what it meant. They're like, actually, this doesn't really have any real deep meaning. I was in the bathroom one day and this song came to me and I actually wrote it in the bathroom, produced it in the bathroom because my bathroom had great acoustics and it has no super deep meaning. It was just, it just came to me. But people take that and they look at it from that context. And again, that, uh, that's what people do with everything, with everything, with everything. it, It is okay to sometimes subjectify art and subjectify meanings of like, there, there are some, there are some places where it's appropriate to say, Hey, this makes me feel this way, or I think this means this. Right. The Bible is not one of those ways, right. or one of those places where it's okay to do that. Well, yeah. and, and so, okay, one of the the portions in Scripture where you can go to and you look at metaphorically or allegorically, whatever, Song of Solomon. Okay, Solomon uses, I not necessarily, not necessarily allegory, but metaphors. Metaphors, to, images, imagery. Imagery yeah. to describe certain things. And so, yeah. You read that as, okay, literally, the hair was not... Oh, man, I, I I haven't read it in a while. I'm trying to remember <laughs> how he described the woman, or even how the woman described him. But yeah, how they, the, the different ways that they described 
portions of the body. Right. It's like, okay, they did not mean that literally. Exactly. Of that's what that looked like. Yeah. So the last three principles of interpretation are the grammatical principle, the synthesis principle, and the practical principle. So I'm going to breeze through these really quick because we are running really long, which is okay. Yeah. But we don't want to bore you. I don't know why, how we could, though, because this is This is stuff. super exciting stuff. <laughs> But no, uh, so the grammatical principle. So Austin pointed this out and, and alluded to this very, very well. And I'm just going to kind of add on to it and give one example. So look at the parts of speech, including nouns, verbs, adverbs, etc., and the sentence structure, the syntax. Mm-hmm. Take the Great Commission, for example. The only verb in the sentence in Greek is the one that we translate into make disciples. That's the only verb technically in the Greek in the Great Commission is make disciples. The rest, it's like go, baptizing, teaching, all modify the main verb. So basically, the Great Commission is to make disciples. We do this by going, teaching, and baptizing. Yeah. We need to examine the grammar in order to fully understand the intended meaning. So again, are there times where this is a huge theological issue? Maybe. But for the most part, it doesn't necessarily throw you into heresy if you get some of this wrong. Right. But the goal is to better understand, right? Right. So how do we do that? We look at some of these issues. The next, the synth- synthesis principle. The Bible all comes together. As we study the Bible, we realize that it all fits together. An example is 1 Corinthians 15, 29. I'm going to read that really fast. It says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? So if you take this verse on its own, you may decide that we should baptize people on the behalf of the dead. Mormons believe this, for example. We must ask ourselves, when looking at one verse specifically, we must ask ourselves, is it found anywhere else in the Bible? Does it contradict the doctrine of salvation? No passage will contradict the teachings of the rest of the Bible. We will get into this in a few weeks, but there are no contradictions in the Bible. Any apparent contradictions become clear in light of the entirety of the Bible. It all comes together. So if you take some of these doctrines that have been twisted and used in other religions, like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Christian science, and so so on and so forth, you're not reading the Bible as a whole. You're taking out one little piece and building an entire doctrine around it. That's dangerous. Yeah. Right, and so when I when when I look at some of these doctrines, like the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of of the church, the doctrine of even election or or free will, I want to take the Bible as a whole, yes, and <clears throat> form my doctrine around the Bible as a whole, yeah. Because again, the Bible's not going to say over here that you have to be baptized to be saved, and then over here say you have to just believe in Jesus. Right. There has to be a synthesis. There has to be a coming together, and there is when you read it in the whole. That's why it's so dangerous to pick out just one verse mm-hmm. and build an entire doctrine around one verse. Yes. So, the synthesis principle. And finally, and and most briefly, the practical principle. Basically, once you know what it means by what it says, you can apply it to your life. So this is where you, instead of saying, what does this verse mean to me? You say, how can I apply this? Yeah. Austin said that great uh, earlier when we were talking about interpretation, talking about different things where, or uh, when we were talking about how you read the Bible. Yeah. What does it say about God? What does it say about me? What does it say about people? And how do I apply it? That's it. Yeah. How do I do it? What do I do with this passage? Well, and you'd, you you would be surprised at just how much of Scripture you can apply to your life. Yeah. If you're reading through Scripture and you're like, ah, man, I don't know how to apply any of this. Well, then read it again. Read it again. Yeah. Read it again. Then read it again. Yeah. And be like, all right, God, how can I apply this in my life? Which fits perfectly into the next foundation. The third foundation is meditate on the Bible. Yes. Which says, do not be in a hurry to study God's Word. So... We should have God's word running through our minds throughout the day. If we are reading the Old Testament every year and a book or a portion of of a book every day for a month, 
it will begin to stick with us throughout the day. Yes. The more we read it, the more it's there. This is where, or this is when we are able to form a cohesive and comprehensive understanding of God's word. The Bible should permeate every area of our lives. So we talked about some of these strategies that that we're kind of suggesting and we might even start using ourselves. Yeah. The more you read it, the whole point of this, the more you read it, the more it's going to infiltrate your life, period. You can't help, but it, it cannot help but affect your life. I've said this before, and I, uh, I've told the story before about the kid at the group home that I had listened to Christian music as opposed to the rap that he was listening to beforehand. I said, give me 30 days with the music I put on your iPod. Not all of it was worship. Not all of it was just, you know, whatever. There was some... Just clean music on there. Just good songs. Like I think of Need to Breathe as being a group that doesn't necessarily produce overtly, overtly Christian songs, right. but they have good songs. They're right. clean. They have good messages behind them. They don't talk about killing, raping, and drugs, and, right. and, out, you know, and all that. So putting some of that clean stuff into your mind, in the worship stuff, in the Christian rap, and some of these things, and the behavior change of him in those 30 days was mm. unbelievable. Wow. You, I mean, we, we could track it. Because we, we had to make notes every day of how the kids behaved while we were on while they were on our shift. And you could track his progression of the more he listened to work songs that were about God or songs that were just, just clean, but specifically about God, the more his attitude changed. Wow. So what you feed into your mind is gonna naturally come out. Yeah. Right? That's biblical. As, it's as in there. Romans chapter twelve, renewing your mind. Yeah. That, that's the whole point. So the more you saturate yourself with the Word of God, the more you meditate on it, the more you read it daily, the more it's going to permeate your life and it's going to just come out. Yeah. And people are going to notice. People will notice when you are in the Word of God more, especially Christians, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're going to notice too, like, man, he's, he's, he's on fire right now, or she's, she is, she's on it right now. She's, right. she's got something going on that's a good, you know, you, you're going to be able to tell because it's going to permeate every, every aspect of your life. Right. Finally, the final foundation. And boy, this is a long episode. So the fourth foundation is to teach the Bible. This is where it becomes practical, right? A practical way to learn the Word of God is to teach the Word of God. So as a teacher, and Austin and I both believe that this is an aspect of teaching, that we are called to be teachers. So as a teacher, I am forced to be a master of what I am learning. Not saying that I am a master of the Bible. We've, we've, I feel like we've kind of beat that in to yeah, our yeah. to your head like hey we don't know everything we promise like yeah. we're not saying that but i am saying that we would be able to tell if i didn't know what i was talking about today exactly or each week that you would be able to tell if austin and i are just kind of that we have not put the work into yeah, to what we're kind of yeah halfway doing this right right so this this podcast specifically and then teaching in sunday school and every now and then you know well right now once getting to to preach on a sunday morning yeah it drives me to understand what I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. It also drives me to live by what I'm teaching. Yeah. Right? Because that's biblical too. Teachers are going to have a harsher judgment because they need to be living what they're preaching. Exactly. Well, and, and, and just practically speaking, look at a high school math teacher. If they don't know math, they can't teach math. Right. Like, I could not teach calculus. Could I teach pre-algebra? Probably. Because I know pre- I, I knew I did, I did well in algebra. Yeah. I did not do well in calculus at all. I could not teach it. Could I teach Spanish? Let me tell you in Spanish if I could teach Spanish. No. <laughs> it's a terrible joke, but I liked it. <laughs> Very cheesy. I enjoyed that one. <laughs> that was good. I like it. <laughs> so as I teach the Bible, I'm able to retain knowledge better than listening to someone else teach. That's a huge principle. I find my best study time comes when I'm preparing for something like this. Yes. Because you know. I am retaining what I'm teaching. Because I'm not only am I reading it and sometimes listening, I'm also writing. Right. I'm also typing. I'm also making notes. I'm also highlighting and underlining. Right. I am doing 
putting together a PowerPoint presentation. Because again, when the repetition helps helps it sink in. Right. So a strategy you could use, even if you're not in a position to teach, pretend you are. Yeah. Go into it thinking you're going to teach this to somebody. It's a great way to help retain the information. And maybe eventually you will. Absolutely. So that is not to say, I want to say this too, it's not to say that I don't get anything out of someone else's teachings, because obviously we do. We yes. talk about, we name names all the time. Oh, yeah. I, I get I get stuff out of Pastor Pete's uh, messages. I get stuff out of John MacArthur, out of Piper, out of Bachman, out, out of all these people. I, I come away with something new from, yeah. from them. So I'm not saying I don't learn from them, but my retention is better when I'm teaching. And most likely that's going to be true with you as well. Yeah. When you are teaching or when you are preparing to, as if you're going to be teaching the Bible, yeah, you're going to retain this information a lot more than just simply sitting and listening to someone pr- talk about it or right. reading a book about it. Right. Well, and for, for Brad and I, this is our passion. Like, we have a passion for the Word of God. We have a passion for teaching yeah. this. And it, it, w- it hasn't always been here. I mean, even, okay, getting t- deep into, I hated reading literally i loathed reading growing up and it has only been within the past maybe 10 years that i've actually started to like reading the reason being is because i got into scripture more yeah and because i started reading out loud more um i couldn't read out loud at all but i i started having kids and i my my dad always read out loud to us i'm like i want to do this so i would read out loud and now I can read out loud faster than I can read in my head just because I'm used to it. I, I read out loud all the time now, but I, I did. I hated to read, but now I, I love it. And, and I, I believe that, you know, that one of that, that's God. Yeah. That's God doing that. For but sure. Brad and I, we, yeah, we have a passion for this. Yeah. So I'm going to leave us with a quote from John MacArthur and we're going to wrap up for the week. When it, when you've said it all, done it all, and learned it all, you haven't scratched the surface of the infinite mind of God. But do you know what the purpose is? Your purpose in learning the Word of God is not to have knowledge for the sake of knowledge, because Paul said, knowledge puffs up. Your purpose is to know God, and to know God is to know humility. Hmm. That's from John MacArthur. This is not to, again, puff up your own head and your own ego. Yeah, it, Your knowledge is to humble you and put God in a proper place and put you in a proper place. There's a hierarchy here and you need to learn it. And the more you study the word of God, the more you're going to understand that hierarchy and know where your place is in comparison to God. So when we talk about studying the word of God and why it's so important to apologetics, it's to humbly accept your position, accept God's position and be able to relay that to other people. Yeah. And to say, you know what? Yeah, I do believe that I am loved by the king and the creator of this universe, but so are you. Yeah. And here's why I believe that. And yeah. you can explain it to them and you can answer their questions and you can come at it from a, from a knowledgeable standpoint. Because again, like I said a few minutes ago, if you don't know what you're talking about, it's going to be very apparent. Yes. You think of like <laughs> that interview with LeBron James where he's holding, I think, Malcolm X's book and someone, one of the reporters asked him, has there been anything in this book that's impacted you? And he goes on this nonsensical rant about the book that he obviously hasn't read and it was very clear he hadn't read it it's like when you are in high school or in middle school and you do a book report on the book you haven't read yet (laughs) okay you have to present a book that you haven't even read it is very apparent you watch the movie yeah exactly so come to find out (laughs) never mind the ending is completely different but yeah so It is very apparent when you don't know what you're talking about, especially when it comes to the Bible. So why is it important? Why is this important to apologetics? Why are we spending two weeks on studying the Bible itself and having a proper view of Scripture? Because if you don't, your apologetics are useless. Right. And so 
our next topic in this apologetic series is going to be, why are we able to trust the Word of God? Because that's a big question that people will ask you is, well, how is the Bible authoritative? They may not say that word, but we're going to talk about the authority of the Word of God. We're talking about the canon, church history, some manuscripts, some translations. And we're going to dive into why we believe this is the Word of God and why we believe it's authoritative. And why why we believe it is a closed canon that it doesn't need any more books. Exactly. And so that that is important to apologize because that's one thing we have to defend. Yeah. We have to defend the Bible itself and say, hey, this is why we believe it is the Word of God and it is sufficient yes so that's what we're going to look forward to next week with our next study of apologetics thank you guys for listening uh to episode number 63 we this might be our longest one we've done uh this this we are at time of recording we're at one hour and 50 minutes oh wow now i do edit some out so it might drop us down to a minute 45 or or a minute or or a minute 45 an hour 45 or an hour and a half but we do think this is important that's why we're doing this so Thank you for listening. We love you guys. If you have any questions, any comments, any concerns, reach out to us on Facebook. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on Instagram. Might do a Twitter here soon. I've been thinking about that, but we'll talk about that later. But we love you guys. Thank you all so much. Give us a five-star review if you think about it. But until we meet again next week, stay rooted.